Welcome back. Uh, this is a quick intro, just a quick aside that I need to fill you in on. So basically, two years ago, Craig and I did a little, a little uh, uh, episode, a little show on on this show. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, where we were reviewing Watchmen issue by issue, and we've been talking. You know, then COVID happened. Literally, that's the reason it stopped. COVID happened. We were doing it in person. Didn't want to do it online. Um, so we stopped. And we've been chatting about it every now and again, you know, joking, we'll get back to it, we'll get back to it, whatever. Well, now that the podcast is back, going full-time, going full-fledged, figured, well, what, what, what time like the present? Plus, I got all these different shows going on here. I've got my list episodes, the, the nutty buddies, the solos. Why not add one more to it? And when I was on, checking the, the, the names of them, where we were at, I actually had episode 11 saved on my computer. Thank God I saved it. It's very old. Um... I figured no time like the present. Let's put it back out there. We'll start our own little thing. We've got a lot to go through. Ten-ish uh, episodes already in from forever ago, which, by the way, way high viewer counts. The way to get a podcast to get people to listen to it is just niche into a specific thing, which obviously, you know, not really my jam. I'm more of a screw-around variety type thing. But anyways, um, tons of listens, a couple hundred on them each. Uh, so anyways... We got episode 11 here, which I know is way late, and if you haven't been, you know, if you're new to the podcast because of the stuff I'm doing with other friends now, that's cool, but either way, I'm going to put 11 out now, and then Craig and I will do a fun little recap episode uh, where we just kind of talk about what we remember, where we're at, that kind of stuff. It'll be a short one, it'll just be a nice little thing, and then we're going to get back into the original plan, which is all 12 issues. Uh, When we finish that, we'll do a big big one. We're going to do the movie. We're going to do one specifically about the Black Freighter, which also has its own little movie. We'll do the animated comic to talk about how that tells the story. There's sequels. There's tie-ins. There's uh, one-shots and standalones. You've got all the prequels that talk about all the characters. You've got Doomsday Clock. You've got the in-between, which was called The Button, which set it up a year and a half before it came. A whole bunch. There is so much to do. So, oh, and the show, of course, and the and the TV show that's a another version of a sequel that's which one you want to pick as canon. They're both canon. I get, either way, a lot of Watchmen reviewing to do. Uh, my favorite story of all time. So that'll be fun. It'll be fun to get back into it. It'll be fun to do. So here is that episode from two years ago that never got released uh, to help warm this up. Um, I'm, I'm honestly, I don't know if there was things I was supposed to edit in it or not. Usually I write a little note for myself and try to do the editing with it a few days so I don't lose it, but who knows? I apologize if there's some shit in here that should have been edited out, uh, but I guess just uh, brace for impact. Here we go. Two years ago, Craig and Kevin, take it away. Welcome back to this week's episode of Watchmen of the Machine. I'm Kevin. I'm Craig. And we don't have time for lollygagging and games today. Because which we haven't the last two times. Because we're on chapter eleven uh, of Watchmen called "Look on My Works, Ye Mighty," and uh, this is a thick one. <laughs> I mean, the most dialogue in any I would guess in any chapter. Like yeah. If I had to go back through, maybe maybe the Manhattan one where he went through his history would be close because that had pretty much something in it at all times. But the amount that he says in each book. I mean, the first two pages alone. Uh, with all this uh, Ozymandias talking to himself nonsense. Well, okay, it's not nonsense. I regret saying that instantly, but you know what I mean. It's just thicker than a snicker. Yep. What more is there to say? Uh, at the end, let's do a quick recap because this is a really, you know, we're at that point where 
it's it's not self con- self contained stories. That was yeah. something we like talk about each time. This is the comedian chapter. This is the night out because he takes. I would say he takes roughly nine chapters to tell you a four chapter book. Like really, these last four chapters are they're what it is. They're the yeah. story or the last three. Sorry. Well, no, ten, ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, three. I was thinking nine, but I'd have to go back and check anyways. Last four to three. That's the whole story. There's a nuclear uh, war. Someone's killing some people. Who is it? I mean, that's that's the whole story. He took nine extra, eight extra chapters to tell you just shit. Just well, just to tell you shit. It's necessary. I'm not yeah. degrading it in any way. I'm just saying, like, if you really break it down, the story is a one-week story. You could tell it in a few chapters. Oh, yeah. Ozymandias is the plot. Right. Uh, all and you that... don't even hear about him until, like, the sixth or something. Yep. All that we have seen up until then... It was uh, world building and characterization. Yeah. Knowing where we are, who the players are, what their pasts and their relationships are, so that when we get to this point, we understand why. Right. And this none is the of way it, it is wasted. I would, if, if I had to stand on, on a, a hill right now, I would say there is not a single panel of this book wasted um, on something that maybe doesn't matter. You know, like how a lot of people will do that with, like, let's say something of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Why did you teach me that character to kill him five minutes later? Why did you give me his family's history to never bring it up again? That kind of stuff. It's not bad stuff. Fantasy novels are known for, I mean, that's their whole thing, is how much can I tell you about this entire world? Meanwhile, here's a thread. I don't feel that's what this is in any way. Um, so I guess, so what I said at first about it being only a few issues could make it seem like I am, and I'm not. But... This is where the last issue, the ending of the last issue, we got the realization that, well, technically like the middle of the last issue, the realization that Adrian Veidt is behind people dying. Yep. That's really all we know so far. He is behind the company that gave a bunch of people cancer. He's behind the assassination attempt. He's, uh... He killed the comedian. Killed the comedian. Uh, they didn't tell you that yet. Yeah, that that well, we didn't know he's yet. He's responsible for right. the comedian's death. He right. is responsible for Rorschach being in the mental institution. Yep, framing him. Yep. He's responsible for Moloch's death. He's responsible for driving John away. Yep. Everything he did uh, in one way led to these big, massive, sweeping issues that the individual characters are dealing with. And now this chapter is pretty much why he did it. Yeah, why he did it, and he's going to tell you in incredibly deep detail, detail, um, and fill you in on every single moment of what's going on. So, like, the opening, the way I read it, the very first two pages are Ozymandias talking to... I want to call him Ozymandias more than Adrian. Remember how we went over what heroes are what? Dr. Manhattan's John to me. Lori is Sally to me, but that's an accident, because it's Lori to me. Dan is Dan to me. Rorschach and, and Ozymandias or Rorschach and Ozymandias. So I think we'll learn more why we kind of have this view of him in mm-hmm. this. But he is... He'll tell the world that he's Adrian Veidt, but he himself thinks of himself as Ozymandias. Almost the same way Rorschach is Walter Kovacs walking around the street saying the end is nigh. But... His face is his face. Yeah, there's, you know, is like an actual decent amount of overlap between uh, Ozymandias and Rorschach, yeah. I think. 
but one is you know intellectual and and for purpose and the other is just like bad guys are bad actually no when we get there there's a point in adrian's life where he could have been rorschach mm-hmm. like he's the one who walked away from rorschach while rorschach dove deeper into it yes um when he's fighting crime so the first two pages are literally adrian Vite talking to himself uh, in front of the screens where we left him last time he was in front of the screens and he realized that his visitors were coming which is night owl and, and rorschach and he's saying a whole lot of pretentious garbage yeah this is pretty much he's doing an audio journal right now yep and this is what i thought like whenever people talk about alan moore I think they assume this is the way he thinks at all times. Yeah. You know, because people accuse Alan Moore of being, like, the most pretentious douchebag of all time. Which, I'm not saying he's not. I'm not I'm not saying that maybe he's not a little bit that. But he, um... He thinks he's the smartest guy in the room at all times. But not in a way... He thinks he sees more clearly. That's a better way to say it. Maybe not the smartest guy, but he thinks he sees more clearly. He's always talking about how, you know... You're not seeing the beauty in this, and you're too obsessed with this, and people don't care about this, and whatever. You know what I mean? And I feel like this first two pages was his version of that through Ozymandias. Because he's going on about uh, the beauty of this, like, little dome of, of, of what is it? It's a, it's a like, haven that he made, a, a jungle, a, a safari inside of? It's pretty much a terrarium. Yeah. It's a terrarium in the middle of Antarctica where it's just... A massive one with full-size trees in it. Yeah, palm trees and whatnot. And he calls it a ca- he calls it casually miraculous uh, of how this all exists out in the middle. He's really obsessed with the fact that everything is dead in Antarctica and nothing exists there except this little beautiful utopia he built for himself because only he could do that. Um, and he's also going over like I, I thought this line was kind of cool. Where he's going over all the snow and yada yada, and then he goes, computer animations abuse even breakfast cereals with a hallucinogenic, a hallucinogenic futurity. Music channels process information blips, avoiding linear presentation, implying limitless personal choice. Like, there is endless variety in life in every way, shape, or form, and this is what he did. Cool. Yep. You're a smart guy, and you built a cool thing. Um, and that's kind of the theme of the whole book, is him telling you how smart he is and why he did it. And, it, I mean, it's all valid in every way. I loved hearing about, like, his upbringing and stuff like that. Oh, he, definitely a fascinating character. Yeah, and then he, you know, Bubastis, or Bubastis, Bubastis. Uh, is all in a, in a kerfuffle, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know what? Let's take a look at where our boys are, our, our visitors. What does he call them? The guests? Something like that? Residents? I don't know what it I is. I think it's guests, probably? Uh, our visitors won't yeah. get within 10 miles. Okay. So yeah, he, he turns all of his screens because he sits in front of front of a row of, let's see, it's one, two, three, four, five, six across, one, two, three, we can only count four high. Maybe on one of the previous channel we could count more high, but that's not the point. Um, he sits in front of like roughly 24 to six to 30 screens. He's still sitting there, he changes them, and you see Night Owl and Rorschach rolling up on their hover scooters. That, <laughs> the, scooter, the scooters are just so ridiculous they're segways but if you remove the wheels and just end it there just a hard platform they're standing on yep they're adorable there's another there's another is it thor 2 that shows them like racing on these weird standing platforms 
Is oh, it? I can't remember Thor 2. There's, it might be. Anyways, it's pretty common sci-fi scooters that levitate and zoom around. Yep. But I thought this part was really funny. They're, you know, they're obviously in way over their head. But the, this line right here is indicative of the next two chapters and the theme of the book. He says, uh, you know, that they're getting close and their efforts are a breathtaking effort given their limitations um, and how tough it must be for them. But then he says, of course, the ice they're skating on is slippery and thinner than it looks. Let's hope they don't become too reckless and overstep themselves. Let's hope they know where to stop. That's kind of the whole point of everything. Um, and he talks about nuclear war later. But also, I feel like that was him saying out loud, I'm going to tell these guys everything and let's hope they get it and they know yeah. when to stop this you know, oh, they're going to get the bad Ooh, guy. There, you did have a point they mentioned in group chat at work today that you wanted to bring up. Yes, and I will at the end. Oh, when, yeah. he, when he's going through oh, his whole... Oh, okay. Sh- yep. Yeah, that's a good time um, to bring Because that was something, uh, Mike Fogarty, I talked about him on the cast before. He is one of the biggest Watchmen fans I know. I would, I would say he maybe is a bigger fan of Watchmen than me, which feels like blasphemy. Just, you know what? You know what my thing is? All right. Quick... <laughs> here's my thing. And it's not a secret at all. I am absolutely terrible in my memory. Um, names of anything ever, songs, bands, episodes, shows, characters, I can't get it down. So when I'm talking about something I'm very passionate about, like The Office, well, The Office I have a decent memory, not the best one, but something like The Office or Watchmen or Red Hot Chili Peppers, the fact that I'll forget the name of Chad Smith, the, the drummer, Yep. People will treat that like I'm not a super fan, and I'm like, no, I am, I am, but I can't remember it. I know about Chad Smith. He looks like Will Ferrell. He looks exactly like Will. Well, quick. Oh yeah. Third name. Third name? Yeah, uh, we we know more in Gibbons. Uh, John Higgins. John Higgins. Never gonna forget it. That's done. Memory. What is he? The illustrator? The uh, colorist. Colorist. I believe. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, he's a colorist. Okay, good. Gibbons is an illustrator and letterer. Yep, I was, um, but that kind of thing, when you're talking about something you really, really love, and you bring up a point, but you can't remember how to back it. So, like, for example, the Grant Morrison nonsense uh, that we talked about on the last podcast, I brought that up with him, and we were chatting about it, and he brought up almost the exact same point DJ did today, and we talked about it a lot, which is why when DJ said it, I was like, yes, I'm on board. Um, and I completely agree with it, but I couldn't. Because I couldn't think of my way to that, because I couldn't remember panel for panel, it was treated as if I wasn't a big fan. I was like, man, I get it, but it's a bummer. Hmm. Like, just because I didn't know word for word, I still like it a lot. Like, you can't gauge passion like that. Yeah, like, for example, uh, let's take, since you brought up fantasy novels earlier, Wheel of Time series. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to remember everything that happened in all 14 books. But I have read the entire series. I, mean, I would say what? There's probably like a sweeping two, three hundred characters oh, yeah. in it. But I have read like the books at least ten times through. Jesus. Yeah. I uh, Back when it was like a new book would come out every like two years. You'd start again? Yeah, I'd reread it. Like Ugh. I'd have just my Wheel of Time month where I'm just reading that. Yeah. And it got longer and longer. Yep. The first few months, not too bad. The next few, well... But just because I don't know everything in it, because it's a lot of things to know, doesn't mean I'm not a right. super big fan. Right. It just it sucks. It hits me all the time. I just get bummed out. But anyways, the point is, let's continue on. Uh, so I thought this. I actually I don't know if you heard me laugh. I thought this was absolutely hilarious. So Night Owl is visibly uncomfortable, both nervous and cold because they're in the goddamn Antarctic. Yep. 
<laughs> Meanwhile, Rorschach is pulling a candy out of his pocket, oh, it's eating one of it. Those sugar cubes. Yeah. Oh yeah, one of the sugar cubes from Dan's, eating it and throwing it back on the, you know, just tossing it to the wind. Which I feel like if we wanted to get incredibly introspective, that's something. Rorschach is literally just throwing away the wrapper into no man's land, like an untouched place. But eh, I don't have the time to think about that. Too. I also didn't realize there was a camera on that frame. Yep, down in the little popped up from the snow. Yeah. Um, but so they're talking about it, and there was actually a couple really good things that they said. Like, Rorsch- I, I feel like, I don't know if this is necessarily something Rorschach would say, or if we're just at that point of comfort between them that Alan Moore wanted to give the character more depth or anything. But, you know, Night Owl's talking about they can't get cover. It's just open whiteness. And oh, yeah, There's yeah. no darkness. The heart of darkness, yeah. Yeah, and Rorschach, he, he says, you know, let, no point in waiting for darkness. There isn't any. And Rorschach just goes, untrue, just isn't any kind we can use. If Vite truly engineering third world war, we are approaching heart of darkness. And he goes, hmm, I've been wondering about that. Here's the start of the theme for the issue. He calls, points out that they looked through all these papers. At the end of the last issue, they took everything off his desk, right? Yep. He points out that looking through that, it wasn't, he even says, it wasn't a headstone for the world. It wasn't murder everyone and call it a day. It was what happens when a lot of people die and how do we move on? What's the future look like? Um, And he says, uh, who are we to judge? So, you know, uh, Adrian, for God's sake, he's never killed anyone, yada, yada. And then uh, Rorschach says insanity perhaps and he goes well that's tricky I mean who's quali- who's qualified to judge something like that which we hear three more times in this chapter two more times I think three in total so two more times in this chapter um, this is the world's smartest man we're talking about here so who can tell how can anyone tell if he's gone crazy this entire chapter I'm just going to get it out the way now is about and actually the last two chapters because of the final cha- conversation between John and Adrian who knows what's right no one Absolutely no one. Even the world's smartest man, which, you know, his plan comes out, it might be right, but it might be wrong. And he even questions that in the last chapter. What's the right call? And we get four stories between, and maybe five stories, of people trying to figure out what the right answer is and not having it. Well, to use a quote from the the blurbs at the end of the chapter, yep. which for this one, it's a... Uh, interview between Nova Express mm-hmm. and Adrian Vite. Mm-hmm. That's the entirety of it. Mm-hmm. And it's so long. Oh, yeah. So long. Uh, Adrian himself said that uh, how he sees Rorschach is someone who sees the world in black and white, mm-hmm. and that's a uh, limiter on his intelligence. Right. So when, if he's the smartest man, that's like an indication that right and wrong are not easy uh things to quantify or know uh and that a lot of things are subjective subjective and what is the right thing to do how much is acceptable losses yada 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 there's actually a really funny piece coming up i think it's actually once we get past this that remind me about that when uh, the newsman's talking uh about a like black and white world which i thought was cool so, you know, he eats a sugar cube, he tosses it, and they're basically questioning, what, what are we getting ourselves into? We don't even know what we're headed towards. And then you get the screens, and uh, Adrian Vite stands up, and he goes, you know what? I think, I, or he's been waiting, for whatever reason, so not everything he's done is quite perfectly planned. 
he's been waiting for the right moment to do what he's about to do. And he just says, I suppose I've been waiting for an opportune moment, but there's no point putting things off any longer. No time like the present. And he goes to do his thing. So we get to see him walk through his, you know, his lair, his, his Ooh, beautiful Oh, home. oh, I can't believe I didn't notice. Uh, what? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to say about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So 1125. That, yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah. So he's sitting on his, uh, his, you know, on his chair. He gets up and he walks out. And Bubastis is scared to walk into a room with him for some reason. There's very little text. It's all imagery. Um, this is one of those panels we talked about two issues, two episodes ago. Maybe it was last issue about the whole Alan Moore, you can't do this in a medium thing. This scenery would be in my opinion, less dramatic read out. So he walks into a room, and all he says is, oh, you're not going to come any farther? Fair enough. Well, you wait there. This will only take a moment. He walks in. He clicks. He picks up a screen, you know, like on a missile or something, clicks a button. You see the time next to his finger. Top right-hand panel, you see an orb in that room. Go down, he clicks the button, you see a, his the light, the color changes in the room. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden it's gone, then the bottom middle panel, that orb's gone. He clicked a button and sent something away. Oh, I, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, and what that thing is, we both know, but you don't get that till next issue. Um, and he says, you know, and he calls out to his constituents, hey, guys, all the, my work, everything we've been doing together, uh, it's, it's time to celebrate. It's done. So, meet me in the terrarium. I don't know what else to call it. Ter- ter- what's a terranium? Terrarium? Yep. Terranium. It might be, I think... One of them's for lizards. Yeah. Although, he calls this one the the vivarium. V- v- is that a real word? Is that something that's real? I'm not sure. Look I'll it look up while up I talk quick. about this yeah. next piece. So, the next one's exactly what I was talking about. So, they he goes to meet his, his helpers, these three Vietnamese people. Which, uh... Again, in the um, the article at the end, right. it confirms that they're Vietnamese. And they were actually escaping after post-Vietnam War. So we won the Vietnam War. And these were refugees who would have been cleansed. So this, th- there's a lot of things that post blur clears up. So there was like a, a very racist Vietnamese cleansing Oh yeah. Uh, after the Vietnam Because we won the war in this universe. And uh, so that's fucked up. He saved them from that persecution, and they're very grateful. Even though they live in Antarctica, where no one else is, it's just them and him and a couple other scientists, whoever happens to come around. Actually, no, there's no other. It's just them and him. They get treated nice. They love him. They He loves them. It's a very symbiotic relationship. It's wonderful, and they're very happy about it. So he's meeting them out there. Um, you know what else was in the blurb? I don't know if you picked up on it at the end. I'm sure you did. He prevented uh, AIDS from happening, supposedly. Oh, the specific disease. Yeah, he dis- he's going on about how, you know, is it better to uh, break up the mafia or is it better to stop the U.S. government from poisoning citizens? You know, like, what is evil, what is good? And one of them that it references is a disease being spread throughout Africa by the U.S. government, and he stopped it. That I think that's a little Alan Moore yeah. conspiracy sp- sprinkled there, but it's still pretty incredible. I mean, that it's just kind of in there, and an afterthought it's kind of cool okay a vivarium is an area usually enclosed for keeping and raising animals or plants for observation or research often a portion of the ecosystem for a particular species is simulated on a smaller scale with controls for environmental conditions so biodome was a vivarium yes it was multiple vivariums biodome was a vivarium viva los biodome (laughs) vivarian los biodome oh god that's wonderful i 
I follow Polly Shore on all social medias now, and mm. I watch his YouTube stuff. It's great. His podcast is terrible. <laughs> it's so bad because he's like still being Polly Shore sometimes. Like he'll have certain guests that make it worse, and he'll go full Polly Shore, and then I'll have other guests that make him bring it down. And he has like a normal conversation. Those are the good ones. Um, uh, Rocket Man. Do you remember that movie? Really shitty comedy where the guy's like in Mars or something. He's like a, a non-qualified astronaut. Half-Baked. Have you seen Half-Baked? Yeah. The uh, one that's in jail. Uh, a friend of theirs that's in jail. Are we talking about Harlan Williams? There it is. The episode with him is the worst. They are saying the most nonsensical stuff, using shorthand, calling each other like brosephiosh and stuff. And you're, Guys, bring it down. You're both like, no offense, you're both like has-been comedians <laughs> who had a yeah. shtick that didn't live. Like it did its thing and then you didn't adapt. Oh, it's a whole thing. Oh my god. Anyways, St. Pauly Shore podcast as much as I would like it to be. Uh, I am going to make DJ review a, fil- a Pauly Shore film with me on this. Um, one that he hasn't seen. I'm very excited. Or what is it? Uh, I don't know which ones he hasn't seen. If he mm. hasn't seen In the Army now, it's definitely that one. If he has, we're going to move through the list. Uh, Son-in-law, Encino Man, so on and so forth. Anywho, so this is what I wanted to talk about. It switches to, uh, while he uh, Adrian's off, back to A, the Black Freighter, and B, the newspaper stand that we've been at so frequently, because every time you're at the Black Freighter, you're at the newspaper stand, because it's the little boy reading it. Yep. And he's talking out just straight from the beginning. He's upset that people are partying. He thinks it's a goddamn travesty. And, oh, uh, he doesn't say it yet, so I'll hold my tongue, but the, you know, top knots are partying, and... People are out in the streets, there's music playing, and it's pissing him off. He's like, what, are you partying for Armageddon? Super salty, and Josephine, or Joey, her ex-girlfriend comes up looking to find her, and she's not around. And he just makes matters worse by telling her that she's not here, but if she would be so kind, tell her that the hustler's coming out tomorrow. <laughs> also, she's a top knot. She is, yes, she's a top knot. And she's actually got, uh, later we'll find a book, from the knots it's called knot on the front of it and it's a relationship book or some bullshit which leads me to believe that the top knot's not literally just a gang yeah it's like a you know hipsters or emo kids or whatever. like it's a sect of people yeah um kind of but what we get is the big reveal of like right here boom the big reveal of um the black freighter and what happens is he he wrote in with that dead woman he ties the horses up outside like he did in old 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 timey days and he walks inside to to start murdering he's 100 percent certain that where he's walking into is going to be the bad guys yeah it, he believes that the uh black freighter pirates have taken his home yeah and he has to go back and reclaim it and kill them and rescue his family or avenge them or something so what does he do to the very first person he sees to the first building he walks into starts trying to murder him just with his fist, thank God he didn't have a weapon or anything. But he's trying to beat him, trying to kill him. And as he looks up, there's two kids standing in the doorway. And he's like, oh, uh, this kids? These aren't pirates. Uh, these aren't blood murder and murder men. And then he looks down, and he instantly recognizes that he's beating the shit out of his wife. Yep. He is just, he doesn't kill her. Which is good, but actually the fact that he doesn't kill her kind of exacerbates the situation a little bit. Um, even If you could, I guess that's not true. You can't really make that situation worse. <laughs> no. <laughs> but the, I think what I'm oversimplifying here is that 
it's trying to lay on the point through all of the Black Freighter in this chapter that what he did was purely for love that got morphed into revenge, that got morphed into a bloodlust, that got morphed into insanity. And he points that out a couple times. Like, I'm, I am just here to avenge my life and my wife and yeah, blah, 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 blah. And what I ended up doing was smacking the shit out of my wife. Not a good look. No. Not a good look. The children wailed. I looked down at the figure beneath me. Through puffed and bloomed lips, she mouthed my name. There came an understanding so large it left no room for sanity. This was the... That's the break. We thought he was insane on the boat, uh, which was three or four chapters ago, when he's looking into the ocean and he talks about the fact that he lost himself. No. This is it. This is when the dude's dead. Uh... And then he gets up and runs away as fast as he possibly can. because Like terrified. a bitch. It's like, I don't know if I would call him a bitch in that scenario. <laughs> I feel like maybe that's not the right word. But he definitely runs. Um, and then the newspaper stand, of course, has to say, times like these, people got to be hostile. Me and Rosa should have quit this town like she wanted and escaped from everything. Again, this is one of those pages that is used so often throughout this book masterfully. You get dual text on each image, you get alternating panels of the art, and they kind of tell the same story. In dramatically different ways, but a similar story. Oh, where are we? All right, so. Back in the vivarium. We know what that is now. Yeah. Back in the biodome. Back in the biodome. Back in the biodome. Uh, it is, age, this is one of those um, pure Kevin Smith XS exposition pieces. He is telling them, hey, we did it, guys. Do you want to know what we did? And they're like, oh, yeah. I, I was going to try to do a Vietnamese accent, and it would be terrible and yep. really offensive. Uh, we Just should probably s- turn on a light now. Uh, I'll turn on that light so that yeah. it's not so buzzy. Not so buzzy. Oh. Okay, yeah, that, that helps. So what he does is he's going to explain to them over the next three pages it gets uh, broken up. oh actually yeah it gets broken up by the black freighter this is one. Oh, he talks about his oh man we're into it now okay yeah. there's all sorts of stuff i'm sorry i tried to jump the gun on that one he decides to tell them what they're celebrating for and how they got there so he's going to tell them about his life yep so to get to this point let's go back to my childhood yeah yeah my parents reached america the year i was born 1939 so he goes on about He's an immigrant. Um, his parents were insanely wealthy. We don't know how. And by the time he was 17, they were both dead and he had the inheritance. He was insanely smart at a young age and he actually had to dumb himself down for school to not be like the weird kid. And it says arouse suspicions, which I wonder if there's like something uh, there to imply that, you know, maybe there's something special. Because he talks about how there's no obvious genetic advantages and stuff like that. I don't know if there was any subtext in there, but... He was super smart, and he didn't know what to do with it, so he studies, and he falls in love with Alexander of Macedonia, or Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, who, like, in this particular picture, painting that he's looking in, looks just like him. We see it multiple times, and you can tell he, he did, you know, he shot for that, you know, he, he idolized the man to a point of just wanting to look like him. Um, but he goes on about telling what he accomplished which you would know a lot more than i would and obviously he told me everything i needed to know he conquered the world more or less i mean he right i mean is it true that he says he conquered he he ruled the majority of the civilized world yes he conquered most of mess um not mess 
most of the Mediterranean, right, including uh, uh, Egypt and Seleucia, which, like, after he died, massive empires were splintered off of his already huge empire. Right. They started breaking up. And then, like, he conquered Persia, which is a big thing. Like, think about 300. Right. He pretty much bitch-smacked them. The entirety of it. Also, he's from Macedonia, which is like northern Greece. So he swept down and took out like all those major city states, like uh, right. Athens and uh, Thebes and Sparta and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And then he went eastward until he reached all the way to India, and... which is where he was temporarily rebuffed. But he'll go on to tell us all of that. Yeah, and he chose to uh, follow in his footsteps. That was his thing. Like, this man accomplished so... Oh, and he, he points out, this is kind of a thing like um, uh, you talked about with what's-his-name there. Um, the most famous mass murderer of all time. Um, Khan. No. Yeah. Genghis. Genghis yes. Khan. Um, he ruled without barbarianism, and that's not entirely true. Like, his ruling was not barbaric. It was very civilized, and he was a, you know, understanding ruler. But later he talks about it. It's not quite in here. People had to die for that. Yep. <laughs> he had to kick the shit out of plenty of people to do that. And is that the right call? Uh, which is his whole thing. But we get a quick reprieve from that. That, that does become an overwhelming theme of this if you had to kill a lot of people right. for the benefit of society in the world overall, is that a moral and just thing to do? Right. Uh, do which, the ends justify the means? Which is pretty much the theme. Yeah. yeah. And then what we get here is uh, we get back to the newsstand and Josephine meets up with her girlfriend, whose name I can't remember, even though we just saw it like a page ago. I don't know if it's ever said. Uh, She introduces herself to the newsstand guy, I thought. Uh, She walks up to him. Guess Josephine posts this. She tried. Just you must be her ex. Oh, you're right. If it did, it was in a previous issue when she's talking about her girlfriend. And we might actually see it here later. But anyways, they meet together. And they're fighting because they were fighting the last time we talked to or heard from Joey as well. See, this is the kind of thing we don't need any of this, but we do. Yep. Uh, so they're fighting, and uh, they just you know, they're they're gonna break up. So that's exactly how the conversation starts. Uh, Josephine, can we walk for a while? I don't like this kind of neighborhood. Second time the neighborhood's been pointed out as a bad part of town. The newsstand guy also says like, "God, we live in a shithole." Yeah. Um. And on the walk, she pretty much immediately goes, uh, this isn't working, and we can't fix this. Uh, what are we going to do? Meanwhile, Josephine is incredibly pissed off and screaming at her, acting like uh, she says, I, you know, oh, so that's it? Just like that? I tried my goddamn best acting like you wanted me to? See, over there, I put your stupid dyke disco thing up. Which, dyke, not a great word to use. Well, she also earlier used a uh, homophobic term. Uh, yeah, uh... Not in some dingy little magazine office with a bunch of gumpies. You know I don't like that term. We should respect gay professionals working openly. So that's what she's calling. Oh, and that's uh, what we find out right here is that um, Josephine is, while she is gay and she is a lesbian, she does not want to be at all. She's like in denial of who she is. Yeah, there's definitely definitely self-loathing going on there. 
which is probably a big part of their why. So she says, you know, um, Josephine, you know, look, don't cry. And he, Who says I'm crying? And she says, here, take this book, which this is the book that says knots on it. And it says, po -ro oh my God, I can't really read that. You see the word, the middle panel? Oh, uh, let's see. Some Something ing. Erd, erd lang. I don't know what it says. Oh, uh, R.D. Lang. It's probably a name. Yeah, probably. And uh, Josephine is super pissed. She goes, I don't want to understand shit. I just want to go to bed with you one more time. I want to go to bed with you, and I want to be straight, and I want to be dead. She is really losing her shit at this point, whether it's losing the girlfriend or it's just the fact that she can't handle who she is or it's the fact that the world's on the brink of Armageddon. Whatever it is, she's completely lost it and they start fighting immediately, which takes us back to the Black Freighter, uh, which shows that the guy... Actually, you get to see the panel in the eyes of the kid in the bottom right, which is really cool. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, the freighter... The freighter the black freighter protagonist, whose name I can't remember, is running as fast as he can and he reaches the shore and he's looking out and he says, how had I reached this appalling position with love? Only love is my guide. Like this is, he did it for a good reason, but it ended up being bad. And now we get black freighter like overlapped with a lot of what Ozymandias is saying. Um, you don't see, you don't hear anything from the Black Freighter, but you see imagery of it in the top left right there. That's supposed, to, I can't tell if that's Ozzy or if that's the freighter guy looking out over the ocean. I think it's supposed to be Ozzy, but I can't be sure. Or maybe that's the point, is that it's so close to the same thing, because that's yeah. the last pan. Because we don't see the Black Freighter in the last page at all. We just hear two blurbs from it to let you know that it's still there and give you, like, what happened to him. Oh, this is a, a neat little... Um... Yeah, you go over all this stuff. This is Ozzy talking through history. You're going to... Oh, yeah. So, while he's retracing the path of uh, Alexander's conquest, he uh, remembers that before going to Phoenicia, uh, Alexander went towards a country called Gordium, and he thought perhaps it's because of this unique challenge that lay there, this supposedly unsolvable puzzle of this knot that could not be untied mm -hmm. no matter what anyone did and alexander cut it in half with the sword like why try to why take your time working on this when, when there's you a can, symbol yeah use an uh unorthodox method or violence well it's kind of an imagery for violence yeah, actually, you're using a weapon to undo. Both, both metaphors actually work really well, and we'll see that later on. Yeah. And then after that example, which that'll be brought up again. Right. Uh, goes to Egypt. And then, like I mentioned, uh, after going through the Middle East, he gets to India. But unlike uh, Alexander, who had to turn back and return home... Uh, which I think is, um, oh, uh, Babylon, yeah. Returning to Babylon where he gets an infection and dies at the age of 33. Instead, uh, Ozymandias continues on to China and Tibet uh, to visit those because eventually that was uh, Alexander's uh, goal. That was where he wanted to end? Yep. The, and it also, he talks about how, you know, his handling of Egypt and all that, he brought back 
the pharaohs in yes. a way you know and and as we've seen adrian is obsessed with egyptian culture as a whole he owns just endless numbers of them but the god ramses is his whole his whole ish and that's where he gets his name from he takes the name ozymandias it's the greek version of ramses yep ramses second and that'd be the uh, the ptolemy dynasty which when you think of like the darker skin the brown and black skin egyptians mm -hmm. those are like ancient egypt which for the dis distance of time between us and mm -hmm. cleopatra mm -hmm. who was ptolemy a greek egyptian mm -hmm. is the same amount of distance cleopatra was separated from those dynasties right where those are like the actual ancient egyptians and the ancient egyptian egypt that we think of with cleopatra is not that old not even close we just all. think it's ancient because it's about the same age as the roman empire yeah it's it was the thing it's like uh there's less time between us and P Cleopatra than Cleopatra and the building of the pyramids. Is, yes, is the exactly. one that I've heard. Yeah. Yep. Um, which is just absolutely insane. Oh yeah, like I mean that's impossible. The world, Jesus. Okay, it's just not possible. Well, there's stuff before Jesus. No, there isn't. Old Testament. There's nothing before Jesus. That's for the Jews. Okay, <laughs> we're just New Testament over here. Does, does that mean the Jews are like time travelers? They have time before Jesus. When if you, time did not exist. If you are a Scientologist, maybe. Oh, but I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm a Jesusist. I don't even think... Jesusist! That's not close to what Scientologists believe. It's, I'm, I believe in Jesus-anity. Alright? Is that Jesus and insanity? No, it's Jesus and Christianity. Oh. Why do you always got to make Jesus crazy? Christianity Let's... is Jesus. It has Christ in its name. Christianity is Jesus-insanity? Bumper sticker! That's a good bumper sticker. Boom. I just made a million dollars. Also, uh... Jesus is literally like if translated correctly means Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Drake and Josh was about Jesus. Yeah. Drake and Jesus. Drake and Jesus. What's Drake's original uh, new name? Oh. Uh, dragon? Uh, yeah. yeah. Draco. That's dragon. In Latin. Yeah. Okay, not the point. Anyways. So yes, he he goes through all that good stuff and he this is where he tells them right up so he poured them a drink i'm sorry i should have pointed that out way long time oh ago. yeah i didn't notice that until the end oh yeah he poured them a drink at the beginning uh when they first sit down and he explains to them what they're celebrating and you just assume he's pouring them wine he's pouring them champagne but he talks about how the pharaohs would you know talk about all this fancy stuff and they would leave their secrets with their servants and they would kill their servants. Oh, their greatest secrets, however, were entrusted to their servants, buried alive with them in sand-flooded chambers. Is that true? Like in maybe a, um, uh, what do you call it? What do you call it where you bury the pharaohs? Um, uh, tomb. Not a tomb. Uh, a pyramid? Yeah, but there's a term for it. Um, Mausoleum? God, no. This is gonna really scuff my guff. It, it's, a. Uh, um, well, I'm not going to waste my time. Where you put the sarcophagus, that has a name other than just, like, the Pyramid of the Time. Oh, okay. It's, it's like, like the main chamber or whatever. Yeah, it's, anyways, is it, when they died, their, their, like, closest people, like, killed themselves, didn't they? Yes. Or whatever? Uh, gold, goods, food, servants, cats, you know, Seven. everything they needed to... Take with them. And, yeah, in the afterlife, because they believed that... They could take that with them right. in the afterlife, and they might be right, we which don't is know. why they were mummified and their organs were put in jars because they would need those. Yeah, of course you would. If you're just a poor person, then get fucked. I guess you're a ghost. Yes, 
That's the weirdest thing about that version of, of, of any of those versions of religion there. It's like, you know, only the privileged get into heaven. That's messed up, man. I mean, well, going back to Jesus, he literally said, rich people go to hell. So that's kind of the opposite. That's why Jesus is my boy. That's why I believe in Jesus' sanity. Yeah. He was like, hey, uh, if uh, some rich guy was like, hey, you said we should like help people and give away shit. Should we really do that? And he's like, well, uh, sell all your shit and give it away because yeah. rich people don't get into heaven. <sighs> and that's, well, well I, I, now almost, I'm I, almost, I almost went, uh, I almost said something not, about our political not, climate. Not a political not podcast, okay? Climate. And if it was, let's just say I hope Christianity's right so all the fucks go to hell. Not that I would want that because that's not what this is about. I'm not talking about that. But if it was, just not Catholicism, some other form of it. Just not that one. Yeah, that, that's, that's too like, much Latin. Yeah, I got on Too time. much standing and sitting and yeah. it, it takes so much time. And I went to one Catholic wedding. It took like four hours. Jesus. They are the... Literally, you're sitting in your chair listening to Jesus stuff for about an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, I... Um, That's before they even say their vows or nothing, which they're not allowed to say their own vows. They say Jesus vows. Yeah, I'm really glad that my mother and grandfather converted, because uh, I would not want to go to a fucking Catholic mass. I would like to praise the Pope, though. Hmm. Pope Francis is the man. Yeah, he He is, said a few douchey things, but he's the man. He is a... Well, compared to the previous Pope, like, you're only going up. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, you decided... Not to uh, put a Nazi as the Pope. Yeah. Good for you. You decided to not have someone who molests children as the Pope and tries to cover it up. Yeah. That That's like... <laughs> and he's only the second Pope in all of history to step down from Popedom. Or really? was he the first? First or second. He's, he's either one or two. It's never happened before. They either die or they die. And that's it. Are we talking about the previous Pope or the current Pope? Yeah, the previous Pope. Oh. Pope Francis is up in that bitch. He's doing okay. Pope Francis stuff. Yeah. He's the best. Um, anyways... Uh, so what, <laughs> I got distracted. So he, he gave them a drink to celebrate, and this is where he says the buried with them in sad flooded chambers. Um, so he adopted the, the Greek name for uh, Ramses II, which is Ozymandias, and he began his path to conquest, not of men, but of the evils that beset them. And as he says, says this, as he says this, you notice a butterfly land on one of the servants' face, and the guy not move at all. And he says... He, do you understand my shame as such an inadequate reward? So, because earlier they said, this is so nice, thank you, what is this about? And he's like, this isn't, you know, this is the very least I can give you. The best he can give them in his own weird, fucked up, insane version of it is he poisons them. They die in the most beautiful room he could create. And he floods it with snow and yep. ice and cold. I think flood is not just water, right? This would be considered flood. Yeah. Flood with sand well, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. sand flooded. This is pretty much what he was doing. It's his version of that. And you even see his like glass that's completely untouched. Yep. And the dome. Yeah, his never got drank. The dome opens up and it floods in, and you just see it get overtaken by snow. The body get buried, and then walk through a door, and it closed behind them. Really bummer. Really bummer. This is where it's hard. Like, yeah, we'll get to that in the next episode. Uh, so then we go back to Black Freighter and the newsstand, uh, where <laughs> the newsstand guy says the thing I, w- I wanted to talk about earlier. We got to protect, he says, morally, we ought to strike first. We got to protect our women and kids, even if theirs die. That's morally logical. Fucked up part of that is, it sounds 
batshit insane coming from him. And it is the exact same sentiment Ozymandias has. Yep. It is literally word for word what Ozymandias wants to do. But said from the crazy news guy who doesn't, is kind of racist and also his wife died and he's like super bummed out all the time and depressed. But what he says is exactly what the, the book happens. It's ridiculous. Um, but anyways, I, th- I thought that was really cool. That's the second time we hear, uh, which I brought up earlier, that's the second time we hear about um, what's the right thing to do. Meanwhile, Black Freighter. Black Freighter. He is at the ocean. He sees the body of the banker he murdered, the money lender, sorry, murdered. Noble intentions had led me to atrocities. He's being chased by a lynch mob. All the people in the town, because they, I assume, found the dead woman on the horse. Yeah. Obviously, the woman, his wife that he was beating would have said something and called out. And when they get here, they're going to see the body of this banker that he murdered and tossed into the ocean. And he's concerned about what, you know, what was my error? Why, you know, I rushed here. Where the hell are they? Why aren't they here? And he looks out. What does he see? The black freighter. He sees the dang freighter. And it's just sitting there in the, in the moonlight, just ominous, not moving, not doing anything. And this is where he has, like, the revelation in his mind. Oh, they were waiting for me. They weren't waiting for the town. The town doesn't... He even says, the town gives them nothing. What would they get from it? Yeah, this ship here is to reap souls, and there's one soul that they want to reap. Yeah. Reap? Reap. Reap? Reap. I hope they don't want to rape. Oh, no. I heard that pirates like doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And pillaging, also. Obviously, the pillaging came with it, but... uh, That is super depressing so he is like well i'm not the same person which is weird because he's talking like a sane man but i'm not a sane person my family i obviously can't go back to i just kind of burned that bridge a minute ago my town i can't go back to so he swims out and just heads for the boat and it gets larger and larger as he gets closer and closer uh and he gets up to it which we don't get what he does until a little bit longer but yeah, so the newsman's talking about how he has to do it, and this is where you see the wife of the therapist who is uh, tasked with working on Rorschach. She asks him if he knows where he is, and the guy says something awfully racist, and he goes, hey, go talk to the black guy that sells watches. He might know where your <laughs> black husband is. And she's like, what, you think all black people hang out together? He's like, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. That's not what I meant. No woman. But lucky for him, she sees her husband, which is the guy with the helmet from a few issues ago that was buying the new Frontiersman. Yep. Uh... She sees him and she walks over to talk to him because they broke up uh, in that one issue. What is it? He's like losing his mind on the bed and she's like getting ready for dinner. So yeah. she just walks out on him or something. Well, uh, it was oh, they went the to dinner party with the friends. And right? he's like, oh, yeah, this whole thing about Rorschach and, you know, dead people and yada, yada, yada. And they're like, what? let me be super morose for a second and act like it's normal conversation. Which, uh, nowadays, that totally is. It is kind of, right? It's so millennial. You're more likely to pick up a Tinder date by talking about serial killers than you are of like, hey, what do you do do for a living? That's actually probably true. Yeah. That's where I'm going wrong. Serial killers. You gotta bring up Ted Bundy way earlier. No, I gotta go with H.H. Holmes. Who's that? Uh, I think it's Holmes. It might be Holmes. But the the, the murder uh, uh, hotel. Murder hotel. Yeah, he built this hotel with all these different... Saw. He was the saw guy. Yeah, all these different, like, uh, dead ends, and it's like a maze, and he would go and kidnap people from the World's Fair and, you know, drop them in his hotel and hunt them down and whatnot. Oh, yeah, and he would be in the hotel acting like he was also part of it. Yeah. 
Oh, that... Yeah, he's like, what? He's the, I think, at, at the very least, the first recorded serial killer in American history. Really? Yeah. It was that long ago? I mean, it was the 1800s. Like, uh, before then, like, there, if, there probably were serial oh, killers yeah, during, was, like, yeah. revolutionary times, but it was a country of, like, one or two million people. Also and, super scattered, no one would ever know. And just a bunch of farmers, most of them who couldn't read or write, so... All right. Yeah, you, you could just, you know, take someone, kill them out in the woods, and, and no one's gonna fucking know. <sighs> but you, when it's, like, a hundred years later and the world's more populated, and suddenly, you know, people are going missing from the world's fair, then, you know... What happened to him? He get caught? I don't remember. I, I have to look it up again. Oh, that's so... Met- oh! Oh, yeah, that, that's my favorite one. Wow. I'm... My favorite was... I'm not as into it as white girls, but I do like... Everybody goes through a phase. I went through a phase uh, back, it was like, when I was like 18, 19, right? Post high school, right? College time. I would watch like all the... This was a Netflix streaming started, and I would watch all the ones they had on there. I'd watch like uh, documentaries on people and all that good stuff. Yes, I say documentary. Don't sh- shut up, people. Oh, have you seen the one about the the British killer with uh, that's played by uh, what's his face that played Mad Max and Bane? Oh, Tom Hardy. Yeah, no, I haven't. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've seen of it, but I haven't. Yeah, seen it. where he's bald and he has the mustache. Yeah, yeah, that one was actually pretty good. Uh, no, point is, all I was gonna say, my my favorite back then was uh, Albert Fish, hmm. who in you know is a really fucked up guy, and he would like eat people and kids, and he in jail. When they brought him in, finally, they did an x-ray, and he had, like, 30-something two-inch-long steel nails in his ass. Not, like, in his butthole, in the meat. Because he would shove them into his flesh to experience the discomfort of sitting. So every now and again, he would just shove another nail into his flesh, into his meat. Because he didn't want to sit? Just because he... That was just his thing. He liked the feeling of it. That that, The the pain that he got from it was, for him, eh, what he wanted. There's just a bunch of nails in your butt, dude. No, oh, damn. Don't put nails in your butt. But yeah, he like ate people and stuff. He was a crazy guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has like a, a, a detailed account of how he would cook human buttocks. And like ro- and like roast them in the oven with like herbs and all this stuff. You know, he wasn't quite a, a Jeffrey Dahmer who just liked to eat the meat. He was more of a culinary. A connoisseur. Yeah, yeah, a connoisseur. A of connoisseur sort. of the long park. Uh, <laughs> is that what, oh yeah, I've heard that. Where's that from? Oh, that's just a uh, slang term for uh, cannibalism. Is like, it really? Human meat is long pork. Oh, that's messed up. It makes sense, but it's yeah. messed up. Anyway, no, enough about that. We're talking about enough mass murder. I don't... Uh. Yeah. Anyways, so she sees her husband and she goes to him. whoop de freaking do Then we get back to... <laughs> so then we get back to Rorschach and Night Owl. And they stroll up and they actually stroll up through the now open and, you know, non-existent vivarium. Which... And Rorschach even exclaims palm trees buried in snow doesn't make sense <laughs> and because he's not listening because night owl got a little bit ahead of him and he sees the door and he's like hey i can get i can unlock this door i can get in and he does and he's like let's just get inside up here we don't have any camouflage we're out of our natural environment and Rorschach asks, what are you nervous well he just says nervous but you know if he could speak mm-hmm. like a normal person he'd be like what's going on you know he goes yeah well my stomach feels weird and my balls are shriveled up so yeah i guess nervous will too <laughs> and he's like this was the part I really liked. You know, this must be how ordinary people feel. This must be how ordinary people feel around us. So, like, the way they feel around Ozymandias is very similar to the way they described how people feel looking at John. Like, that's the level Ozymandias is on. He is 
otherworldly. He's a scary dude. Yeah. Like, you've heard me rant and rave about how Batman is a superhero. superhero. Yeah. Everyone will be like, no, he's not. He doesn't have powers. First off, he does have powers. His powers are just that he's marginally better at anything than a human could ever be. And while that doesn't sound like a great power, it is. Also, he's the world's greatest detective. And world's greatest chemist and master of over 120 martial arts, which is impossible to be, but he is. He is the most perfect human. Yeah. Which makes him superhuman. Like... The thing about Batman compared to Superman is Superman, yes, is so much more physically powerful than Batman, Mm -hmm. but Batman's smart enough to figure out how to beat Superman. And he always will. So good. We'll talk Batman Superman someday because I actually, if if you would want to do a this version of, of, of podcast and talk about a little bit of Batman Superman I can handpick for you, oh boy, there is so much good stuff out there. But anyways, back to what we're doing. So they uh, walk in, they're terrified of this man, and they actually retrace the steps of Ozymandias. Yep. Uh, another theme of this issue is retracing your steps or living the life through someone else. Um, oh, yeah. That's yeah, right. you get it from the Black Freighter when he's back home. You get it from them right now walking through Ozymandias. You get Ozymandias explaining his version of it to get where he is. Um, yeah, that's a lot of parallels I didn't notice. Yeah, and... Uh, so they're walking through, they walk into a room, and Ozymandias, or I mean Ozymandias, Dan exclaims that he has, like, cool shit. Earlier in the, uh, in the, uh, in the book, we've seen it a few times, like, he's got tech that no one else has because he's rich and a genius and wants to do it. He walks into here and he's like, oh, I'm nothing. Like, <laughs> compared to what's around me, I got nothing. Um, and they see the room where something teleported out, and they're like, well, that's kind of cool. They see the big oh, hall. Yeah, they do look in there. They see the big hall that has all the flowers and the art on the wall of the Egyptians, and they walk upstairs to find Ozzy. Wait, hold on. As they're talking, uh, how do we approach him? They're like going through, what do we do? And Rorschach's just like, subdue him first. May not be possible if we get a, We may not get a second chance. And he goes, you're right. But Adrian's a pacifist. He's a vegetarian. And he goes, Hitler was a vegetarian. If it bothers you, leave light to me. Which is a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Suggest we proceed quietly from here. So we get a few panels of no words. They're walking through the halls. They walk up the stairs, and they see Ozymandias eating dinner. Obviously, gold plate, gold silverware, gold cups, gold everything. They walk up to him. Even the tablecloths are purple, so it matches his outfit. Everything's colored to him, yeah. They walk up to him, and he, of course, knows this. He sees Rorschach uh, in in his uh, mixing bowl, his salad bowl. And right as Rorschach lunges for him, he grabs him. Puts his hand, sticks his hand to the table. Not his hand, but his coat with a fork. And then punches his face off. As one does. And he just says, manners. <laughs> Which is a really good point. He doesn't want to fight at all. Meanwhile, he looks back and... freaking Night Owl's trying to be cool. Adrian, don't make me. And meanwhile, he doesn't get to do anything. He tries to shoot him with like a pen gun. Yeah. Oh, is that... Oh, it's a pen gun? Yeah. I thought he was just like... My marble of death! (laughs) (laughs) Or like uh, in Mystery Men with the silverware. (laughs) That's one of my favorite... That's um, Apu. The guy who voices Apu. Um, Oh, Oh, yeah, you're uh, right. uh, uh, Hank Azarius. Yeah. Yeah, that's him. Anyways, he tries... He pulls it out, he says don't, and he shoots at him. Meanwhile, of course, Ozymandias deflects it, whips the thing into his face, and then as he's bleeding on the ground and Rorschach's stuck to the table, he says, what can I do for you? Oh, yeah. Like, it didn't even phase him. He's pouring himself a glass of wine. It didn't even, in the bottom panel, he didn't even care. So they have a little conversation. And this is the, uh, 
This is the classic monologued moment. Over the next, we get parallels back to the town. Uh, we get the fi finale of the Black Freighter, and we get him explaining his plan. That's all that's left. It's oh, yeah. just him talking about his plan. Um, which, actually, I'd rather wrap up the town and the Black Freighter first. Yeah. So, we'll come back to page I'll 19 in a moment. The town, except for the last page. I think exactly. that, yeah, that's got to be the It's super important for a couple reasons. So, back in the town, uh, uh, the therapist and his wife are talking, and she's trying to explain to him, like, I miss you, but I can't be with you if you're going to do your job. Like, if you're going to work taking care of these nutcases. So this is the theme of, of the town right now. The entire thing is that every single pair of people we meet, one person wants to do the quote-unquote right thing, the other person wants to brush it off. Every single couple. So with them, she wants him to stop trying to help people so that they can be happy because he's bringing it home and it's ruining their home. So it's kind of like that sort of ignorance is bliss thing. Leave everyone to be fucks, let's be happy. Yep. He wants to help people. The other part of it is uh, Josephine and her girlfriend are arguing, and Josephine, in her rage of denial and anger, decides to just beat the shit out of her wife. Her girlfriend, sorry, ex-girlfriend. Um, which her ex-girlfriend wanted to break things off amicably and try to help her. She wanted to break up still, but she wanted to help her understand why. Again, same thing. So they're arguing, she tells him no, and Malcolm notices, the therapist, notices the fighting and is like, I have to... They're, they're, they're hurting. She's hurting her. I have to help her. And like the bitch that his wife is, if you go help those people, we're done. Like, what kind of fucking thing is that to say to someone? <laughs> you go be a good person and I can't be with you? But that's the ultimatum she sets. So he says, you know what? I'm sorry. Gloria, please. I have to. In a world like this. And then, I mean, it's all we can do. Try to help each other. It's all that means anything. So this is his... That's actually Rorschach's same ideal. It's not any different. All we can do is try to help people by taking care of what's bad, quote-unquote. Um, and he learned that from Rorschach, which is why he snapped. And then we get the final two panels of Black Raider. Oh, yeah, we do, right? Okay, so he says, I'm sorry, it's the world. I can't run from it. That's the very last thing Malcolm says, um, which is very depressing. Uh, but also, Ozymandias' whole ideology, because he was about to run from it. Uh, so yeah, the final two panels are him swimming out to the boat for the guy at the Black Freighter. He sees the heads nailed to its prow, which we heard about a long time ago. They kept the heads of their enemies on the boat. Yep. Um, and he hears the laughter of all the people up top. The encouragements barked from above. So they're looking down into the water like, look at this piece of shit. Look at this guy. And then they throw him a rope. Yep. Closer and closer it came. The world I tried to save was lost beyond recall. I was a horror. Amongst horrors must I dwell. A rope snaked down, spluttering, I grabbed it. And where's the last word? Next panel. Oh, it's literally just... Yep. Okay. And from the decks above, a cheer went up, both gross and black, its stench affronting heaven. The end. So that's that's the Black Freighter's whole story. Yep. They murdered his, they murdered his ship. He was the captain. They murdered his ship, tossed him into the, into the ocean... He landed on an island, used the dead bodies to build a raft, got attacked by a shark, ended up at home, killed people, attacked his wife, and ended up going and being part of that crew. It's not a good yeah. story. They pretty much just drove him insane in order to get him to join their crew. Not a good story at all. Also, what was the guarantee he would even make it to the boat? 
He could have died on... They wouldn't have cared either way. I'm not saying that that's a plot hole or anything. Mm. If he had died, it would have been more just fine to them. They wouldn't yeah. have given a shit. But the fact is, they got him. That's like the ultimate reward, is they broke this man and convinced him that this is the way to live. And then... That's uh, fucked up. That's when we actually probably get the most dialogue out of this kid in the entire um, yeah. book. So, so this is kind of awesome, right? So... He's the 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 newspaper stand man is talking about how much conflict is going on and this shouldn't happen. He lost his wife, and he took up this job specifically to meet people. Yeah, because he found he realized that all of his friends were actually her friends, and they didn't really care after she was gone. They just disappeared. So he in in reality, he's just a sad man. He's just he's like that, and we've all seen him. Have you ever been to like Best Buy or Target or something? And there's that really helpful person that you can tell just kind of wants to talk. Yeah. They're everywhere. I mean, there's people like this all over the world. That's him. He's like, I just need companionship of some sort. And you've been sitting here reading this goddamn book all the time. What's your name? Like, <laughs> let me get to know you. It was more like, uh, the first thing was like, uh, how are you coming over at these we these weeks? And apparently he's just been rereading it, trying to understand the whole point of the Black Freighter story. Right. And he's like, oh, my name's Bernie. Like, Bernie? Is that short for Bernard? Yeah, I'm also a Bernard. Well, I'll be horsewhipped. <laughs> That's going to be my new saying for now. Whenever I'm shocked by something or I'm like, oh, I'm going to say, well, I'll be horsewhipped. And the kid, the, the, this is where this all really comes into play for the very final panel. The kid's like, I don't care. That's not a big deal. There's tons of people pay, uh, called Bernard. Don't signify nothing. And then he gets distracted and goes, what the hell's going on over there? And he notices the fight as well. And then I mean, we get the two detectives that two have been cops. throughout the uh, the ones that caught Rorschach. Yep, and this is, again, the dichotomy of people. The main cop who got suspended because of the whole they didn't catch Dan thing. Yep. He's like, pull over, I have to stop this. And he's like, his buddy's like, dude, you got suspended, this ain't your problem. Like, if it's not your problem, why are you worried about it? Let's get out of here. Another version of, fuck it, ignorance is bliss. And the other person trying to say, let's help. Then you get two other people. Listen, Milo, you leave work early for a beer with your brother. Business ain't going to collapse. And he goes, no, but hey, police, what's happening over there? And it turns out... Yeah, we, we do see that watch hawker like, throughout the story as well. Yep, Like yep. the last time with uh, the, the therapist when he was wandering around. Yep, yep, and he's just trying to sell watches on the street. Um, but of these two new people, one of them knows Joey. It's one of the drivers, one of their drivers, so it's... The boss, I take it. We do occasionally see the drivers as well. Right. Like one of them was recharging at the um the uh right Outside electrical the... hydrant. Yep. And uh, the oh, that's what the kid says. The kid points out. He's like, my mom's working. My sister's at school or whatever. Like these hydrants, these electrical hydrants, they're warm, and I can read this book. Like that's why I'm here. I'm not here for you. And we find out, you know, and he's wearing the hat. By the way, the hat that he gave him a long time ago when Armageddon was knocking on the door. Oh, yeah, he is. Yep, he's never not wearing the hat. And so now this is the boss, and he's like, oh, well, th that's J Joey. That's in a fight. And the other guy's like, well, man, if it had been just one more minute, they'd have been, we'd have been gone. Like, this wouldn't matter to us. One person wants to do the right thing, and one doesn't. And pretty much the rest that we get for the street yeah. until the end well, is the everyone trying to break apart the fight. The important thing here is exactly that. Despite all these pairs of people... One person trying to tell them you can't do that, the other one wins in doing the right thing, trying to break up the fight. That's really important. Yep. Uh, so anyways, then now we get, that's the wrap-up. So we wrap up the Black Raider, 
and we have a massive fight going on in the streets of New York with multiple people attempting to help. Yep, and when we get back to uh, Ozymandias with Night Owl and Rorschach, it's kind of in two parts. The first part is what Ozzy did after he came back to the States and became an adventurer. And then the second part is pretty much his plan. Exactly what he's doing, right. So his his first thing was, you know, fight crime. I can help solve problems. And then he realized through a couple things, just punching the bad guy in the face doesn't do anything. There's a million more bad guys there. And there's other issues that are bigger than that. Maybe solving the higher-up issue will solve the... It's basic Reaganomics, mm-hmm. obviously. Oh, uh, Hooded Justice does come up. Yep, so uh, that was one of the big things for him. He was researching the people who were the Minutemen before them and trying to find out you know, what happened to all them, and it turns out that the Hooded Justice's disappearance was investigated by one man, the comedian. And the comedian came back unsuccessfully he failed his mission to find out more about the hooded justice so ozymandias kind of assumes maybe comedian killed him didn't say anything and called it a failure and we it, don't know yeah it's left ambiguous whether or not he did fail or if he did kill him yeah and then uh when he went to talk to him the first time they actually got into a confrontation a young ozymandias versus a very well-trained comedian Comedian one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Comedian beat the shit out of him. And he's like, Well, I uh I kinda fucked up there, so what do I do now? He sees him again later at the dinner party and he just ends up talking to Manhattan the whole time. He is very fascinated with John over and over again. But he keeps an eye on Blake for over the time. He finds out that this is actually so clever of this. So the movie we're not gonna talk about the movie here, but just a quick little aside. In the movie it actually shows you through the very opening credits, right? Do you remember the song that's playing in the opening no. credits? It's Times Are A-Changing by Bob Dylan, which hmm. is the very final line in this ish- in this chapter. Oh. And the reason why that's so like clever to me, or not the final line, it's right... It's in here somewhere. Not the point. Maybe it's in here? Oh, it's the final line to the excerpt. That makes it even... Zack Snyder put in time on this movie. You know how people like to talk about Lindelof being a true fan for the show? Which yeah. I do believe the show is very good. We'll get there freaking Zack Snyder put in time. So anyways, times are changing is the very final quote oh, yeah. in the excerpt. But what's so important is right here, he talks about where the comedian was during J- the day Kennedy died. Oh yeah. He was there. He was at the event. Him and Nixon were in Texas. And why was he there? In the movie, in the opening credits during times are changing, you're going through the timeline of the history because they can't tell the story like this in pieces. Yeah. And you get to see a lot of Minutemen stuff. Lots of Minutemen stuff. Oh, yeah. I remember and you seeing see the comedian dying. Yep. And you see the comedian murder JFK. Oh. Huh. All this is is a single text in chapter 11, page 18. That's That that makes me like the movie a little bit more. Like, that's fucking clever. <laughs> Anyways, not the point. Uh, so he's talking about that. Um, and then he asks, is this, have you read the JFK speech that was supposed to happen that day? Is this true? I do not know. I am very curious if this is true because it makes this story, it makes Alan Moore even better. So he says, ever read JFK's intended speech? We in this country, in this generation, are by destiny rather than choice. The watchmen on the walls of freedom. If that's a real quote from the proposed JFK speech for that day, 
And he named the book Watchmen and made all the heroes Watchmen, completely unbeknownst to idiots like me who didn't know the history. That's awesome. That's such a cool little thing to do. Right? Yeah. Uh, you gonna Google it just real quick? Hopefully if I have some. If it's not, I'm getting really hyped up for nothing. I don't have a lot of bars. You're not on my Wi-Fi? I don't think so. God dang. I did... Ch no, I didn't... No. I don't know when I changed it. Oh, uh, I... I turned my uh, Wi-Fi Wi off when I was driving. Oh, that's not bad. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I thought that was really cool, and I hope it's real, and we'll find out more. But I'm going to talk a little bit while you Google it. So, he is talking through his plan. Meanwhile, or not his plan, the history of this. So he talks about comedian and all that stuff like we just said. Meanwhile, they're still trying to fight him. Like, uh, Night Owl's standing up with a bloody nose. Rorschach pulls the fork out that's holding his jacket to the thing. I do like how they're, st they're just they're continuing just fighting, to... fighting while he's just like, yeah, and this is the thing. And <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's no never mind to him. He doesn't care. So he swings. When he swings the fork, uh, Ozymandias just kind of puts this thing he's holding. It's like a book behind him, so it catches that, like, perfectly placed. Punches Rorschach out, like, leave me the goddamn alone. Uh, knocks him to the ground. And then just walks away again and explains through history. So this was his moment. This was his realization that he had a bigger purpose. And the first moment of it was at the meeting that we've seen twice now where um, Captain Metropolis tried to create a new Minutemen. Oh, uh, so we in this country, in this generation, are, by destiny rather than choice, the watchmen on the walls of freedom. We ask, therefore, that we may be worthy of our power and responsibility that we may exercise our strength with wisdom and restraint, and that we may achieve our time for, and for all time the ancient vision of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That must always be our goal, and the righteousness of our cause must always underlie our strength. For as was written long ago, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Elmore is the greatest writer of all time. He's, he's the best person that's ever lived. Done. You don't have to tell me anything ever again. I'm sold. That's why is that not talked about more? Why is that not part of the history of what this book is? Hmm. I'm gonna be so. I'm just riding this high. Anyways. Hey, like I didn't realize that's where the title of this came from. I don't think anyone did. Like, how could that not be known? How is that not talked about? Especially since it's like literally just it's said right, there on page 18 yeah, of issue 11. Right there. Like that seems like one of those things. So I've read. You know me. I've Googled endless amounts of things about Watchmen, what makes it good, what makes it doesn't, analysis, this and that, because I remember one day in the chat I raged about finding a website that had the audacity to say the movie was better. I have never once seen anything talk about the origin of the name and the fact that it's from a JFK speech with a book that's completely based around the adjustment of the historical events of the Vietnam War and stuff. Has one of its characters kill JFK. Why is that not... It's so good. <laughs> Alan Moore, you're so good. Um... Anyways, so at that meeting, I was just talking about the Crime Busters. The crime Busters. Um, where the comedian, this is where he points out that the comedian is the only person to rival him in both physicality and intellect. The comedian is a genius, just with a slightly different viewpoint. Yeah. Um, and when the comedian points out that this is all for naught, and that he, he even says, when he said I was going to be the smartest man on the cinder, that was like a revelation for him. Like, no, I'm not going to be that. I'm going to be better than that. I'm going to... Rise above it, yada yada bullshit. And that's because, as he points out over and over again, Blake is a man who thrives on conflict. His whole life is about 
being stronger, being better, and just beating the shit out of people for what he deems to be no purpose. He deems it as all one big joke. Why not just have a little fun? And apparently his version of fun is getting his face slashed open by a Vietnamese woman he impregnated. Whatever. That was uh, Ozymandias' uh, moment of, oh, I can, I can do that. Uh, he actually says right here, he discussed nuclear war's inevitability, described my future role as smartest guy in the cinder, and opened my eyes. Only the best comedians accomplish that. That was kind of cool. Anyways, so he goes through, uh, talks through everything, keeps an eye on, on uh, the comedian, keeps an eye on everyone, and decides to hatch his plan. Uh, which we don't get another fight scene, which is totally fine. This is what we were talking about is so much text. Page 21 is just freaking text oh, yeah. on text on text. So he talks about the war. He talks about nuclear Armageddon, how the sides, East and West, locked in an escalating arm spiral, their mutual terror. And reading this felt like real life. It felt oh, like, yeah. like right now. Yeah, because um, he talks about how both sides realize that any misstep could destroy the entire world yet they're both locked in a race to see who can get to the next step right. so that they can pre prevent the other side from launching first. The only thing worse than the world dying is your world dying. Like, if the U.S. has to die so that the rest of the world can live, that's not fair. Fuck everyone. Or if Russia has to die so the rest of the world... That's not fair. It's the same thing. So yeah, they're both racing towards killing each other. Um, and he talks about that for a while, and he says both sides realize the suicidal implications of nuclear conflict, yet couldn't stop racing towards it lest their opponent opponent should overtake them. Afraid of their weapons, afraid of losing them, afraid to blink and turn their backs. And a lot of the reason why Ozymandias quit being an adventurer ahead of the Keen Act mm -hmm. and started amassing this wealth was he realized that all he did as a hero was just treating the symptoms when mm -hmm. all of this was is the source of the problem right right it's it's actually kind of like one of those things um i'm sure you've seen it like you, you knock your hand on the bedside table every single night when you reach for your phone and instead of just moving the table you keep doing it and you like move the phone the second time and you keep hitting it even though you know you shouldn't it's that sort of thing like hey just let's cut the underlying problem out from 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 this whole situation because you're both going to kill each other so he goes through it and decides that it's inevitable. Like, if this is the way things are going, we are going to end with everyone murdering each other. Unless. He says he takes a step back and thought again. And we're kind of going through, like, this part's really cool. There is no conflict, and it's not even tense. He's walking with Bubastis down the stairs, through the hall. They're following behind him, hands in pockets. Like, it's they realize they lost. Oh, yeah. At some point, they just give up. Like, um... Oh, yeah. So, it was back in the dining room where Warshak was still getting up. And Ozymandias, he just walked away while still talking. Yeah. Expecting them to follow. And at that point... Oh. <laughs> they were... They saw Babastis, and they were worried about him. And they just stopped. And Bubastis just walks up to Ozymandias and heads down the stairs with him. And this is the point where it just becomes casual. Like, yep. okay, okay, he beat her asses and he got a freaky cat. Let's, uh, let's just listen to the dude for a while. And he spends like four pages saying what we've already said, talking about how everyone's going to die. But he needed, so he quit early, he started his enterprise, and he did it all for one reason. He needed the money 
he needed the power so that he could create well what he was trying to create it all it all is a really good speech and this this issue is definitely just re worth reading fully right yes don't skimp on anything that seems overwhelming because it is it's not redundant that's the wrong word it's long-winded honestly I think, on purpose i think the the first page is probably the most overwhelming yeah because it's the most wordy Right. And it tries to be the most, um, oh, what's the word when you're trying to be super fancy with your words and bullshit? Pretentious. Pretentious. <laughs> exactly. And that is like, uh, but for the most part, the rest. But he it sets puts the up, stage yeah. for you to anticipate this. It sets the stage for you to take your time with this, I think. Maybe that was on purpose or not. I don't care. But that's what it did for me. It was like, oh, shit, this is going to be a wordy one. And then you kind of settle in. Um, so he, he goes through everything, and this is where it quickly changes tone and he's like so i did what needed to be done john being too powerful and unpredictable to fit my plans needed removing uh thus dim dim dimensional developments hired his past associates that's one of his companies and gave them cancer which is the one that's it's the one directly next to the newsstand yep yep which that big building with the radiation thing on it yep. that they put up in the first issue they put the radio or the second um so he did that he uh used that specifically against john he developed uh the technology for teleportation because why build flying cars if we can just teleport around and it turns out that without john guiding it so teleport teleportation totally exists but without someone to guide it they either just die or explode or explode so that's a little fucked up so what do we do with that he starts working on Genetic testing, which is what Bubastis is. Bubastis was step A to yep. the second thing he creates. And the second thing he creates is what we saw earlier. It's what all those people were working on, the artists, the scientists that he, that he kidnapped or whatever that he, that he took away. That was the second attempt. Bubastis was step A. So Bubastis is just kind of a nice, like, hey, I got a cool pet out of this. What do you know? And then when he gets to Blake, here's a good quote I like. Unable to unite the world by conquest, Alexander's method... I would trick it, frighten it towards salvation with history's greatest practical joke. That's what I, that's what upset the comedian when awareness of my scream cra scheme crashed in upon him. Professional jealousy. Professional jealousy, <laughs> and that's what it is. What so what happens? This, so this is what we learned. Um, in the next two pages, it's all the same thing. What we learn is that the comedian, on one of his journeys, noticed a ship docking on an island that was um, uncharted. It was a completely unknown island. And he's like, what the fuck? So he investigates it. He creeps up. And what he learns there is that they are building this genetic monstrosity. And they're building it to kill people. And if you remember from last chapter, we saw all those people get blown up in a ship. Yep. The thing they were working on. And then two chapters before that, we actually saw the artist. Uh, what's Painting her? it. Uh, he was, her name was Hero or someone? Yeah. Yeah. Like actually drawing it. It was like a vagina teeth. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, he saw all that, and instead of blowing the whistle on it, instead of trying to stop it himself, he realizes, as um, Ozymandias knows all this, this isn't like a assumption, the comedian realized that this was too big for anything. This was above a simple uh, take down the bad guy. This was above uh, making the right call. 
and he couldn't tell anyone. He broke down as a person. The only person he told was Moloch, and the only reason Adrian, uh, Ozymandias knows this is because he had bugged Moloch's apartment. Because he gave Moloch cancer. Because he cancered him. So it all kind of worked out in his favor like that. Like, this was just one of those things where things worked out. Also, this is, like, the third or fourth time this book that we get the scene of Blake's death. Right. When he's just getting his shit kicked He's in. getting rock. But this is really important. So they say, uh, you know, that he killed Blake's murder. So Rorschach says, Blake's murder, you confess. And he goes, confession implies penitence. I merely regret his accidental involvement. Comedian wasn't supposed to die in any of this. Literally. He just stumbled upon it. He just stumbled upon it. There's no... That's kind of what makes this such a... Which I'll get to what DJ and I were talking about today. That's what makes this so perfect of a plan. Is that it's not... So Grant Morrison, I talked about in the last one, said he was a too much of a genius, uh, but not smart enough. It, he had a specific plan that wasn't supposed to play out a certain way, or that was supposed to play out a very specific way, and it did, but it was still fallible by certain means, and he was able to take care of them. And also, he gets to brag about it. So, the comedian, the whole reason this book exists, like, literally, comedian isn't involved, Rorschach and Dan don't know. Yep. They don't investigate. You don't have any of that. The only thing that would happen is John's exile, and we don't know if John's exile would have ever tried to be followed at all, because the only reason he hired the assassination on himself, he says in this, is because of the masked killer. Yep. Rorschach's investigation into the masked killer is why Ozymandias had to hire the hitman on himself, which spawned more and more and more. Like, he was able to adjust the plan as it went. The original plan, though, the whole thing we've spent 300 pages reading wouldn't have happened because Comedian wasn't supposed to find that. Also, I do... Once you learn more about these characters, it kind of becomes obvious that Ozymandias killed Blake. Because in the very first chapter, the, the cops uh, specify, like, this must have been a monster yeah. man to have been able to kill him and done all of this. Yeah, no one could have done this. And the only person we know who's, like, the perfect specimen who could do this other than John is Ozzy. That's actually, like, the number one reason why I didn't love the casting of Ozymandias in the movie. is because he was supposed to be the perfect person. Not just in... The movie went for evil genius. And that's not what he is. He is more than that. So anyways. Yeah, he's, he's the titular renaissance man. Yeah, you ain't he's James Franco. <laughs> he's a renaissance man. You know he has his PhD... Whatever. Anyways, um... So yeah, that, that's the whole thing. He's actually bummed out that he had to kill the comedian. He wanted the comedian to see this joke. He wanted to be the man on top. And that's kind of like a bummer for him. But he gets to brag about it to everyone. So as he calls out, uh, the brutal world he'd relished would simply cease to be. It's fierce and brawling denizens rushing to join the mastodon in obsolescence in extinction. Oh, we actually do get a frame... Of the, the night he killed. That's the only one you'll ever... Yeah, that's the only one in the whole book that shows Ozymandias killing him. And look at his face. He's not happy about it. Yeah. He's, like, kind of distraught about it. But he kills uh, the comedian, tosses him out the window, um, which is the most brutal of all the deaths. Ozymandias is not a murderer in that way. He killed those people by mercifully poisoning them and put him in. The bomb on the ship little fucked up but he was not there for any of it like that's kind of the thing is it was an out of sight out of mind unnecessary thing this is the only time he actually did something like this and i think that's what altered him like i feel like that's 
a completely different thing than what his end game was his intention also you gotta wonder what's gonna happen to knight alan rorschach because we've seen in the last few chapters he's killed every single witness well uh we'll get there in the next issue so he uh talks about how he's done all this so they say or so he says right here this is the final plan here i'm gonna say it this is the plan he tells them there is one answer to unite all governments against a common enemy each other as an enemy isn't going to work we all need to be against one thing alien invasion it's genius and he uses the knot of gordium as an example where you can't just think of a solution in the terms that you're in mm -hmm. you can't like figure out how to like stop these two uh mm -hmm. superpowers from fighting you got to think outside the box and come at them with something completely different mm -hmm. that goes beyond what they could expect. Beyond comprehension. And that is a fucking alien. Yeah. <laughs> a completely new thing that will convince the governments that they have to reach for the stars. Literally, not in an optimistic way. You have to go after something you'll never get, but you'll be united the whole time, ergo, world peace. Um, and they're like, really, how do you plan on doing that? And he says, well... The genetics I was working on, everything I've done, we created it. Uh, the teleportation I told you about, Landon. They're like, well, you said that Rorschach's oh, exact words. Yeah, this is the biggest, like, just clowning on traditional uh, comic book stereotypes right yeah. here. Said teleportation unworkable, and he goes, it works fine, assuming you want things to explode on arrival. So he teleports it to New York. The creature's death would trigger mechanisms within its massive brain, cloned from a human sensitive, the resultant psychic shockwave killing half the city, which New York City has, what, some 5 million people in yep. it or something ridiculous. I think the total number that the HBO show uses is it kills 3 million. I was close. Yeah. Uh, half of five would be two and a half, so boom. Um, so he's like, Adrian, what the hell are you talking about? Aliens and stuff like this, like, you seriously planned all this mad scientist stuff? And he goes, I mean, when when was this hopeless black fantasy supposed to happen? When were you planning to do it? He goes, do it? Dan, I'm not a Republic serial villain. Do you seriously think I'd explain my master stroke if there remained the slightest chance of you affecting its outcome? I did it 35 minutes ago. And the clock in New York is like a minute away from midnight. Yep. Or, no, doomsday. It's five minutes from midnight. Oh. Because he pushed the button at 11.25. Right. And then it goes back to the city. And now here is what I was talking about. This is the important thing. All these duos die together, right? You see, uh, you see the the uh, Joey and her and her girlfriend. We see the two cops first. Oh yeah, two cops. Joey and her girlfriend. Uh, Malcolm and his wife Darla, Darla Darlene, Dar, Dar something. Um, you see the the bosses uh, the of joey yeah the drivers you see the watchmaker this is the best part so you see the black freighter comic you see the kid with his hat on and you see the newskeeper the newskeeper does one thing he grabs the boy and tries to shield him from it despite the boy being a total jackass and them not having any relationship at all no and him being this like dire we're all gonna die anyways person his last instinct is to save this child who he has no attachment to and the last like mini panel where you see it's just like them dusted mm -hmm. looks exactly like all those outlines in the city. Yep. Yeah, it does. Oh my god, yeah, it does. Um, and that's just depressing as all fuck. So and then I, the very last panel is pure whiteness, and you get the quote: 
My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Is that a real quote? Ozymandias? Yep. Percy Bysshe Shelley? I believe it's a um, poem about Ozymandias. Ramses oh. II. Oh. Well, I mean, then that works. That makes sense. And then you get the uh, interview, which we've talked about at great length. Um, it's mostly just him. Actually, it talks about how when he first meets him, he's doing it. He's exercising. And he is doing things that no man should be able to do. His, like, physical prowess is insane. And he's also the most charming, charismatic man this interviewer's ever talked to. And it makes a very big point of pointing out the fact that, like, he's the most um, well-known, left-leaning, like, liberal... Right. The uh, world is incredibly Republican here. Yeah. Conservative. And he's, like, the standout uh, amongst the adventurers... To the right. point where, like, the new frontiersman calls him the, the, the pawn of Peking. Yeah, all because he, uh, what did he stop for that? Uh, AIDS. AIDS, right, 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 yeah. yeah. And he once traveled to China, so obviously he's working for Mao. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Well, Mao's dead by then, so it's, I don't know who's, I don't know who's in charge of China in 1984. Some China guy. Well, I'm not gonna say Chinaman, that's a slur. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so just some wrong. China, some China guy. Um. So yeah, that's that the 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 theme of that entire thing is what's the right and wrong decision, and you know all the couples that get murdered in New York, one of them wanted to do the quote unquote right thing, one wanted to do the wrong thing, and they all ended up dead anyways. Like I mean, everything all these people fought for it didn't literally didn't matter in their their story. It matters in everyone else's story, but who's to say Ozymandias did the right thing? Yada yada. And, oh, and of course, those would be the ones first hit because, as I said, like ten minutes ago, it's right on the, right there. Yeah, right like they're there. at ground zero, right where the alien's going to show up. Yep, they're and explode. And uh, oh god, it's so depressing. And Ozymandias, I think uh, the biggest takeaway from this is Ozymandias is not happy about what he's doing. He's confident in it, maybe to say the least, but he's mostly just he thinks it's the only option. Ooh, and the la very last page. It as like oh yeah we didn't we only commented I think on the of this the very, in the very first because I told you that it got bigger every time yeah but the clock in that one is at five minutes to midnight five minutes to midnight with blood almost entirely encompassing it almost entirely which by the way oh uh, we're the doomsday clock is actually closer to midnight now than it is here oh yeah oh no it's fricked up dude yeah this that's why this is a perfect time to read Watchmen. Or not, or a terrifying time. Oh, to oh yeah, it. it's definitely terrifying. I guess terrifying. you could take it either way, but yeah, it's um. But don't worry. Between global warming and the coronavirus and hostile uh, foreign nations and uh, that are interfering with our election. Yeah, no, they're not. It's fine. Yeah. They just want Bernie because he's a socialist, and the world's gonna be socialist. Red scare. Wait, what is socialism? What's the color for socialism? Uh. Well, red is typically communism. I know, that's why it's not the red scare. It's the blue no, that's isn't blue Republicans. No, red red is also Republicans. Red's Republicans, blue is Democrats. The blue scare! Yeah. Oh, I'm terrified. Uh no, it's um that that is one of those issues where there is so many threads going to tell you one thing. Um, which has happened a few times in this book. Yep. Lots of overlaying stories, lots of overlaying imagery and text on them. And lots of exposition from Ozymandias, of course. This is his chapter. This is the one where you get his whole life, his whole plan, and how he does. And I think that's incredible. Uh, what's your rating? 
Oh, 10 of 10. That was 10 out of 10. fantastic. 10 out, the easiest 10 out of 10 I'll ever give. No, wait. I think I said that last time. Yeah, she did say that last time. I think I've said that a few times. Are you going to say that next time? And I stand by it. I stand by it. It is absolutely incredible. Um, which I did say we might do the second one. Obviously, at this point in time, we're not going to. Yeah, probably not. Um, but I think we're not going to just because the last issue uh, has three such massive moments that I would not be able to not talk about them for like 15, 20 minutes each. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to spoil that. All you need to know is everyone's dead. Except our titular uh, heroes. And Manhattan still hasn't shown up. Yep. That was three issues, two issues ago when he was on Mars. Um, yeah, we got to see what him and Lori do. Sally? Yeah. Yeah, him and Sally. remember that she's this? Yeah, no. Don't, like, don't worry about it. She's, she, her, her, her part's not that big in the scheme. Mandy's no, scheme. No, yeah, she's just dragged along uh, for, for the ride, more or less. Um, actually... She is what you might consider the oversight of Ozymandias as well. But no, no, not even because he prepped for... I can't. Okay, we're going to talk about it next week. Let's wrap that up. Okay, anyways. Next week, finale. Talk about the last issue. Talk about the book. It's going to be wonderful. And then we'll move on to the movie. And it's going to be great. Thanks for listening to Men of the Machine. I'm Kevin. And I'm Craig. Oh, wait. I already said thanks for listening. So thanks for listening again. Thanks for listening. And as you can see, over here we have the man of the machine.